Hello, Grace family. Yet another Sunday that we are together in our homes. And although this is still not ideal, the last six weeks have been a really cool opportunity for many families in our church to be unified on a Sunday. And as a church family, a church community, for us to be unified, doing the same thing together each Sunday. And I think it's a really unique opportunity that I'm hoping we look back on and see how much this actually brought us together as a community. And it was an intentional decision for us not to do our own separate things, but from children to youth to everyone else in our community, that we would be together on Sundays. Uh, and I'm really excited to hear the many different stories that come out of this. And I've already heard some and have been so encouraged. Uh, and with that, I want to welcome and acknowledge the children and the youth that have been joining us each week and that are joining us this morning. And uh, we love you guys, and we're so glad that you are with us. And I just encourage you guys to continue to do so. Uh, so speaking of unity, next Thursday, May 7th, is the National Day of Prayer. And the churches of Orange County are joining together to make it not just a day of prayer, but a whole week of prayer that we're calling Seek Week. And this is a unified church effort to have 24-7 prayer all week long as we seek the Lord together in this time. And there's two specific ways that we are inviting you to participate in Seek Week. The first one is you can sign up for an hour of prayer online. The second is on Friday night, there is a virtual gathering where there will be stories and worship and prayer focusing on our part of Orange County, Costa Mesa, and the surrounding cities. So with that in mind, let's pray together. God, we invite you into this time. And uh, I ask, Lord, that you would help direct our attention and our affection to you this morning as we seek to be unified as families, as a community, as a church community, as our community as a whole in Orange County, as a nation, and as the world. And would we lead that charge as followers of Jesus uh, with you at the helm, would you lead us into a deeper unity as we seek you this week and beyond. We love you in your name. Amen. As you've heard us say many Sundays, we are a community of people who have an audience of one. We are singing to an audience of one. So if you're by yourselves, if you're together with friends or family, let's join in raising our voices to the one true God who is our only audience of this choir. Let's sing the Lord's Prayer, Our Father. Our Father, be in heaven, hallowed be your name, and your kingdom come quickly, your
So as we continue our study of the Holy Spirit, we'll be looking at 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. And this is a passage that shows how we all have different gifts, but through the Spirit, we are one body. So here's 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 20. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. This is the word of the Lord. So this morning we continue in our Holy Spirit series and so far we've mainly been talking about the Spirit's role in our lives as individuals, what the Spirit does in an individual human heart to transform it so that we become more and more like Jesus. And now we're going to turn towards looking at what the Spirit does in our community, in our fellowship with one another. And so we turn to this great passage in 1 Corinthians 12 where Paul describes the church as a body, the body of Christ. And we're going to spend the next two weeks looking at this passage. And he views it from two different angles. He views it from the angle of unity, that there's a unity to this body, but he also views it through the angle of diversity, that the body has diversity to it. And so what we'll see is in both cases, the spirit plays the key role. He's the one who produces the unity, and he's the one that produces the diversity. So this morning we'll look at the Spirit's role in creating unity among us. And before I read verses, I, I just think it's such an interesting time, isn't it, that we're talking about unity in the body of Christ because we're living in a moment where we are more disconnected, more isolated, more fragmented, at least physically, than we've ever been, hopefully than we ever will be. And so this is a very disunifying experience. And yet at the same time, I think there has been a lot about this that is unifying. I think our shared experience of this challenge brings us compassion for one another. And it does, there's this spiritual reality that unites us through all of this. And so I think this is actually a kairos moment, to go back to a phrase we've used before, to talk about the unity of the body that the spirit can produce. And so that's what Paul does here. And so I'm going to read, uh, just we're going to focus in on verse 12 and verse 13 this morning. So he begins in verse 12 by talking about this image of a body. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. And then he's going to go on to say, here's what the foundation of that unity is. But before I read verse 13, I, I want to just ask you, how would you answer that question for yourself? If someone approached you on the street and said, what unifies you as Christians? What's the foundation of your unity? What would you answer? What would your gut answer be? And I think there's more than one right answer, but what would that be for you? 
Well, Paul's answer, at least in this passage, is this. The Spirit is the source of our unity. Look at verse 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. It is our common experience of the Spirit that unifies us, Paul says. So I actually want you to see part of this verse on the screen. So I've included it here in, in a very literal fashion. And Paul gives us these two great images in this verse. The first is this one. We all were baptized in one spirit. And then the second one, we all were given one spirit to drink. So first, let me talk about that first phrase. We were baptized in the spirit. Now that we know about water baptism, but that word baptized in the Greek just literally means to be dunked, to be immersed, to be plunged. And so uh, we know what that looks like with water, but Paul is drawing on that image to say this, when we became Christians, we were dunked, we were immersed in the Spirit. We were taken from a place where we were isolated, where we were alienated from God, and we were brought into a place where we're immersed in God's own personal presence, His Spirit, and all that comes with that, His grace and His forgiveness and His love and affection. Instead of, instead of walking through a desert of, of of our own self, of our own disobedience, we, we're now swimming in the gracious presence of God's Spirit. Such just a wonderful image. And then that comes with the second image, and we were given one Spirit to drink. So here Paul kind of shifts the metaphor, and now instead of being plunged into the Spirit, this same Spirit is now being poured into us. And you can think of, you know, the experience of, of having a, a cold glass of refreshing water on a hot day. And just as that water fills us, Paul says, now the Spirit is filling us. He's refreshing us and changing us from the inside out. And as I thought of these two images together, I couldn't help but think of an experience that Carrie and I had a couple years ago. So I want to show you a picture of this. So this is me at the top of Nevada Falls in Yosemite. And a couple years ago, we hiked Half Dome. And uh, we got up early and set out and had that. It's a long hike. Those of you who know it, it's a, it's a long, tough hike. We got up in the middle of the day to the summit, stayed up top for a while. And then uh, really in the heat of the day, we started heading down. And unfortunately, we ran out of water. And for about an hour and a half, we had no water. And we were sore. Uh, we were tired. We were just, you know, our lips were parched. I think I had blisters literally on every toe. And after an hour and a half, we finally got to the top of Nevada Falls and that water. And we had water filters, and so we, we filled up our filters, and we drank in that water. And then I just got in the water and just waited and just floated for like half an hour. And it was literally the single most refreshing experience I've ever had in my life. Just, just plunged into water and taking the water into me. It's just so refreshing, and there were other people there enjoying it, and there was this, this unifying experience that everyone had of just being refreshed after, after the challenge of the hike. And that's the image that Paul is giving us of what our experience of the Spirit is like, what our experience of God's grace is like. So Paul's main point in saying all of this is to say this experience of the Spirit is what creates our unity. 
Notice that word one in verse 13. For we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. It's that oneness of the spirit, the same spirit that you've been immersed in, I've been immersed in, the same spirit that is filling me is filling you. And so it's our common experience of the spirit that gives us our unity. And so the main point I want to say this morning is so simple, but I think helpful, especially in this time where we are physically isolated from one another. And it's just to remind us of this basic fact that the Spirit is the one who creates our unity. We don't create our unity as Christians. God creates our unity through His Spirit. In Ephesians 4, Paul says this, Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. I love that phrase, the unity of the Spirit. It's a, it's a unity created by the Spirit. And notice the other word. He says, try to maintain it. He doesn't say create unity. He doesn't say forge unity on your own. No, the Spirit created your unity. You're just being invited to live inside of that unity to try to keep it, to try to maintain it. And of course, that's not easy. He says, make every effort. It does require effort. But it's we're simply being asked to, to step into something that the Spirit has already done. So how do we do this? There's lots we can do, and Mark's actually going to give us a couple practical ways that we can do that, especially in this time. But I want to simply focus on this basic idea that I think before we do anything, this just starts with the renewing of our minds, with changing our perspective in terms of how we think about one another and, and how we view our fellowship together. That when I view you, I view you through the lens of the Spirit. That's the first lens I look through, that I see you as someone who is swimming in God's grace, in His Spirit. I see you as someone in whom God's Spirit is working, and that you would see me primarily according to those spiritual realities. The Spirit's in me. The same Spirit that's in you is in me. And, uh, you know, it's so easy to view ourselves through other lenses, right? Like, I might view you through um, some of your personality quirks, or some of your political leanings, or some of your interests, or just your general brokenness, and you might view me through those lenses. And when we do that, um, unity is going to be really tough. And so we always need to get underneath those that, to the deeper things that we have in common, which is in the end, I mean, we are all just these <laughs> weary, parched, broken travelers who have experienced this common grace because of God's Spirit. And we can begin to see each other that way. And then we begin to see our fellowship that way. We begin to see our common life together the way that God sees it. You know, you get these great images in Scripture for the church. Here we have this great image of the church is, is the body of Christ. We're all connected. It's this organic body. Or Paul will mention the church is a family, right? God is our Father. He's adopted us. He's given us the spirit of His Son. So now we're sons and daughters. We're brothers and sisters. Or the church is the temple of God. God now no longer dwells in a physical building. He dwells among His people. His Spirit dwells in us, and we are all parts of this, this living temple. And it's amazing that when a community begins to see one another and see itself the way God does, that so much unity can happen, even with really diverse groups of people. I mean, in the first century, in verse 13, you know, Paul mentions these huge divides. Verse 13, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether slave or free. Other passages, he'll say whether male or female. 
I mean, these are the great divides of the first century. These are socioeconomic differences, cultural differences, ethnic differences, religious differences, gender differences, everything that divides people. He's saying that group of diverse people can actually dwell together in unity because of this common experience of the Spirit. In the first century church, I mean, it was a, it was a sociological experiment. I mean, really, that group of people had never been together before. And it was hard. It was challenging. And yet, they were able to find a unity that had never existed before that because of their shared experience of the Spirit. Jews were seeing Gentiles who clearly had God's Spirit. I guess they're part of God's people now. Or you'd have slaves who had never been given a voice, all of a sudden being given a gift by the Spirit, maybe a gift of prophecy or a gift of wisdom or knowledge. And it's this great equalizing force. And so I want to leave you with a thought about... Um, how we think about the church and how we experience one another and the unity that, that God has, has given us through His Spirit. And I think there's a journey that we all have to go through when it comes to Christian unity. So uh, it might start with more of a uh, romanticized view of Christian fellowship and, and unity. And really, I mean, this what I'm saying right now, we could paint a romanticized view, right? The same Spirit that's in you is in me. We're a body. We're, you know, it's this this idealized picture that I've presented. And I think some of us actually experience the church that way when we first become believers. You know, we, we, we come to faith and we meet these people who are so kind and welcoming and they know that all this stuff and it's really this amazing uh, romanticized experience. Or maybe when you go to a new church for the first time after moving from a church, you see this new church and it's just like, oh, this is amazing, these people are great. And then at some point, <laughs> you will move to stage two which is at some point you will be disappointed with the church of God. Uh, and disappointed may not be a strong enough word. Maybe you'll become disillusioned with the church. And that could be because a church leader disappoints you or the people. You get, begin to see them in ways you hadn't seen them before. And you see a brokenness that you didn't realize or a selfishness or an unwillingness to, to grow. And it's frustrating. It's, it's uh, disillusioning. And a lot of people at that point kind of turn away from the church, kind of pull back, and maybe they stick with their spirituality, but they kind of, they, like, I'm over the church. The church is broken and messy. And I think what God wants for us actually is neither one of those two. I think He wants us to move from that romanticized view through a period of disappointment and disillusionment and ultimately to come to a place of what I would call acceptance, which is to accept the body of Christ for what it actually is. And what it actually is, is a group of broken, messy people who have had this common experience of God's grace, a common experience of His Spirit, and who are on this similar journey of trying to walk with the Spirit, however imperfectly. That that's really what the church is. And it is a body of broken people who belong to one another who are connected spiritually, no matter where they are physically. And so that's, I think, ultimately the vision of church unity that we're being invited into, to see ourselves and to see one another as part of the body. And I think especially during this time where we are physically disconnected, let's remember the unity we have, not because of anything we do, but because of what God has done through His Spirit. Well, today, as we've been considering the beautiful picture of the unity we share through the Holy Spirit, 
I'd like us to consider something that sheds light on how important the unity of believers is to Jesus, and then talk about some practical ways we can be faithful to that end. In John 17, John records Jesus' final public prayer to his Father the night before his crucifixion. And when we read that account, we get a glimpse into this intimate encounter Jesus has with his Father. It's an awesome privilege to behold. And what does Jesus say to his Father after all his work in ministry is done? What are the deep longings he brings to him? To put it simply, he prays that we may be one. Here's what he says. Father, I pray for all those who will believe in me through my disciples' message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Our unity as believers matters a lot to Jesus. It matters so much it was the centerpiece of his final prayer to his Father. And if it matters that much to Jesus, it should matter to us. Now, as we know all too well, we are living in a time where the world, society, our culture is deeply divided. We see expressions of that divide on virtually every issue imaginable. So little generosity to one another, so little grace. Division so profound that it sometimes feels irreconcilable. Even when the world is threatened by a global pandemic, unity is hard to come by. In the midst of this mess, what an opportunity we have as Christians to be a light to the world, to show the world what unity can look like, to show the world that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us with a love so profound it motivates us to love one another. John 13, 35 says, Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So how can we do this? What could this look like? Ephesians 4 gives us some ideas. Be humble and gentle with one another, patient, making allowances with each other's faults, binding yourself together with peace. And we have this weird dynamic going on in the midst of this COVID crisis. On one hand, we're with some people all the time. As we're cooped up in our homes and apartments, the constant interface with our families or roommates can get really challenging sometimes. It's a time where we need an extra measure of humility, grace, and patience for one another. Showing one another kindnesses and favor. Even practical things like helping out in the kitchen, cleaning, offering to run errands, running out to get a good cup of coffee or a treat for your housemates. Being generous in ways that maybe you normally overlook. On the other hand, there are a whole bunch of people we are not getting to be with during this time. We're not getting to come together to see our friends at church or at our home group. We're not having those dinner parties or going out with our friends at restaurants or hanging out at the park or beach with our buddies. How can we maintain unity and love one another in this environment? Well, a lot of us are Zooming these days, aren't we? And though we might also be experiencing Zoom fatigue, it's still a good way to see faces and connect, 
You know, some of us have been coming together to pray over Zoom on Wednesdays at 7 a.m. and noon. It's so good to bind our hearts together as we pray to our Heavenly Father. You know, one idea is you could write a note of encouragement to a friend or to someone you know who is really struggling in this time. I found that even reaching out in little ways can be so uplifting. When I receive a brief text of encouragement from someone, it can brighten my whole day. You might consider working through your address book a little bit each day and send a text or make a call saying, hey, I'm thinking about you. How are you holding up? How can I be praying for you? You know, that takes 30 seconds, but can make all the difference in the world in someone's day. One other thing I'm sure we've all noticed is how different people's experiences are during this time. We've talked about this before. Some are experiencing some beautiful silver linings during this time, connecting with family in deeper and redemptive ways finding rest and peace that was so hard to come by before, experiencing the joys of a simpler life. Yet, on the other hand, others may be getting hammered financially. Many have lost their jobs. Others are barely hanging on to their business. And some others are really struggling with loneliness. 1 Corinthians 12, 26 says, If one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So whether we are personally experiencing life-giving moments during this time or if we're going through the ringer, our calling as Christians is to enter into one another's joy and sorrow. As the Bible says, be happy with those who are happy, and weep with those who weep. And as friends who love one another well, we can provide encouragement to both. Let us use this time as an opportunity to defy the effects of the isolation imposed upon us by coming together in ways where we can, drawing our hearts together, and showing the world a better way. A way of love because of our bond in Christ. Now, wherever we're at at this moment, let's join Scott, Joel, and Nix in worship. And while we do, let's remember we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. We're part of a church family, our family at Grace, but also the universal family of God. So let's lift our voices in a beautiful choir of praise.
Turn your face upon your people, this choir of voices, singing to you the one true God. Shine your light and blessing on your people, now in this moment and forevermore, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, now, as we end our time, we've provided you some questions, as we have been doing the last few weeks, for you to consider, and, and just to keep this conversation going with whoever you're with. We want to leave you with this benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Amen.